And we're going to be journeying into um, the, this part of the book of Job. Now, if you haven't been with us um, these last couple weeks, we've taken this summertime to dive into the wisdom books of the Bible. We've taken the year of 2017 to go through the whole story of the Bible, and for the summer, we are diving into the wisdom literature. And so this is part of that kind of summer series, and we've been in the book of Job now for, this is the fourth week. And um, I don't know if you know, but I haven't actually been up here to preach in two years. And I'm a little nervous, and um, I'm glad, though, because I got handed a really easy sermon. I mean, it's just about pain and suffering in the world from the perspective of the book of Job. So no pressure. But this book has been a tough one, hasn't it? It's been a tough one to journey in as a community. So if you've been with us, you know, but if you're just coming in today, we've been looking at this character of Job. And Job as a book fits in with the wisdom literature of the Bible. And so it's slightly different than historical narrative, though much of it probably is very historically accurate. But the authors put it with the other wisdom literature to make it very clear to us that we're supposed to pull out big truths, not nitpick over dates and names. Okay? And so we've been looking at this and what wisdom is God giving to us from this book, from the story of Job, who went through the worst day any of us could ever imagine, lost everything, and then has spent the successive days after that trying to figure out, why did this happen to me? Was it my fault? Was it someone else's fault? Or what? And so we're going to be picking up together in chapter 38 of Job. And so I invite you to read along with me as we do that. We're going to be reading starting at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther? Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, it kind of seems like God just showed up to smack back Job for even thinking about doubting him, right? And we can read into that, right? I tried not to, but it's really easy to read into this and kind of give God one of those voices where he goes, I am God, you are not. Sit down and be quiet, sonny boy. But I don't think that's what's happening here. See, for Job, Job is in the state of overwhelm and crushing grief. 
And everything he thought he knew about life is being called into question. Have you ever been there? Maybe the doctor walked back into the room with that grim look on his face and said that one word that you really didn't want to hear. Or that letter finally showed up from the bank threatening foreclosure. Or the boss let you go with those hollow words, I'm sorry, but... Or that family member that you have been trying so hard to reach out to just angrily walks out of your life. And maybe it's been different for you, but almost all of us have experienced that crushing weight where nothing is okay and our head and our heart can't seem to get together. You know what I'm talking about? This is where Job is. And all he wants is an answer. Why? 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 Why did he lose everything he owns? He searches his heart, but he can't find an answer there. He hasn't done anything wrong. Why did he lose all of his children? He asks his friends, but they don't have an answer, at least not one that doesn't seem to blame him for something he hasn't done. Why have I lost my health? Even that sage stranger The only answer he can come up with is some stretch of, oh, maybe someday, Job, you'll mess up. It's not the answer he's looking for. Why? Why? Why, God? And so Job gets what he's asking for, though it's not exactly the way that he thinks it is. God shows up. See, God's answer to Job's question is his presence. He says, I'm going to come to you, Job. And if you don't think I'm doing a very good job of running creation or running your life, or if you think that you could do a better job of it, well, okay, let's let's go together and let's look at what that's going to entail. And then he takes Job on this cosmic tour of the universe. And he says, Job, do you even know how much I care for you? Not only you, but the whole world. Were you there when I formed the world out of swirling dust? Did you help me measure the diameter and make sure there's just enough mass in it and just enough distance from the sun so the orbit was perfect for heat and light and life? Were you there to join in with the song when I'd finished speaking creation into being and all the stars and the fish and every atom sang for joy with the angels? And then he changes and he starts talking about the sea because the sea at that time in ancient culture was used to point to anything that was dark or mysterious or dangerous. In essence, the sea is the very idea of evil. And so God starts talking about this thing that Job's been asking about. Can you put limits on the sea? Do you know how to limit death? Have you held on to the ends of that leash to keep that snarling beast at bay? Do you think you can judge all the wicked? Do you think that your judgment can make sure to separate people from high and low? Because you know what? Light does that. Darkness, everything's flat. But when light comes in, there's depth, there's texture, there's color, there's visibility. But you can't even see where light comes from. You wouldn't know the first thing to do to walk it back to where it's supposed to go to make room for darkness. I mean, come on, you've got to know this, Job, right? Because you've lived so long. Because you're so wise and able to discern what is fair or not. 
So you can hear my bias kind of reading in a little bit more snark for God, I think. But mostly God is asking these questions of Job where every answer to each question is no. But a fuller answer is, have you been there? And Job's, the fuller answer is, no, God, I wasn't there, but you were. See, God is trying to give Job some perspective. But he's not trying to shame Job into silence. I want us to see that. He's not saying, sit down and be quiet. He's connecting with Job and bringing him into a bigger perspective so that he can gain some knowledge, some understanding. And and we love knowledge, don't we, us humans? Right? We love to understand why or to understand how things work or to make a discernment based on our own judgment after we figured it out. And the first humans that went after knowledge that should have been left for God, well, they ended up ashamed of each other and themselves and hiding from God in a garden. Do we remember this story? Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, and it was too much for them to handle. Here again, God is giving Job a taste of knowledge, and it's too much for him to handle. So after God goes through this whole cosmic tour of things big and small, galaxies and babies, then Job finally responds. Turn with me to Job chapter 40. We're skipping ahead here. Gosh has gone through this whole tour. And so then Job finally responds. Chapter 40, verse 3, he says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice. But I will say no more. God has just taken Job on a cosmic tour of creation and the universe to say, I am carrying all of this, and that includes you. Will you trust me? And Job answers by shutting his mouth. It's a pretty strong answer, don't you think? When my wife asks me a question and I answer by going, She knows exactly what I mean. Because you see, Job maybe is coming into some realization that God is on to something. He's coming from some higher perspective, but he's not quite yet ready to trust him. He knows, God, I know that you're carrying everything, but he's not quite yet ready to say, I trust you with my whole life, even this darkness that I don't think I deserve. Trust is hard isn't it? Actual trust means that you don't know everything. You don't understand everything. And that's not the way that we like it, right? I want to know why. I want to understand how. I want to make a judgment on whether or not it's fair based on my discernment. But God's not asking us to judge for him on how he's doing. He's drawing near to us and inviting us to still trust him based on his character. Because so far, Job understands. God is God. He is not. But he's still not in a place to just blindly trust God with everything that's happened in his life. There's still some questions that he has. Yeah, I get that you're good, God, but I just, I can't seem to reconcile that with all the suffering in the world I see. Have you ever felt that way? 
I mean, it's all well and good to believe in a good God who creates a good world, but what about this world where there's brokenness and pain and injustice Where good people hurt and bad people seem to do fine? What about our world? This good world that's touched by death and darkness. Does that still fall under a good God? Well, God addresses that question in the next section. So let's read together. This is chapter 40, starting in verse 8. God responds again to Job. And he says, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Do you really want this job? Do you want to run the world based on your discernment? Do you want to just destroy everyone you don't agree with? Well, then go ahead. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Again, these are questions that God is putting before Job where the answer is no. But then he shifts to talk about his creation. He says, look at the behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength he has in his loins. What power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are close-knit. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like rods of iron. He ranks first among the works of God, yet his maker can approach him with his sword. He goes on to talk about another member of creation, the Leviathan. And Before we get too far into this, I got to say there's a lot of debate among scholars as to whether or not these were real animals or maybe representations of animals or maybe they're distant relatives of animals we have today. And it's really easy to get caught up in all the details of that and miss why God brings them up. But we got to talk about it a little bit. Behemoth was maybe an actual animal. But more likely than not, He was used as an archetype for a powerful land creature that could not be controlled. And the same thing for the Leviathan. God's talking about these two things that it's it's, it's like if we today were talking in mythological terms and talking about a sea monster, like that last fishing trip I did, you should have seen the thing, it was a monster. It's not about scientifically classifying this exact animal. It's about pointing to what that animal stands for. And in this regard, the behemoth and the Leviathan are standing for danger, chaos, uncontrollable. See, God is showing Job, even though you can't hunt these creatures, even though you couldn't defeat them, even though you couldn't tame them, I can. I'm God. I made them. I know where they sleep. They bow in submission to me. They are dangerous. They even represent chaos. They're beautiful. God is proud of how powerful they are. They have a place in his creation. Danger and chaos have a place in the world that God created. And they're not just instruments of his fury or punishment. And it doesn't mean that he just walked away and let them loose either. See, God created and continues to create 
an extremely complex and amazing world, but it was not designed to prevent suffering, per se. See, our world is good, but it's not perfect. It's ordered, but it's wild. And it's beautiful, but it's also dangerous. And we get into dangerous territory when we start judging whether or not something is just or good based on how God designed the world. Right? We, we, we don't do this with other things. Like, imagine if we decided to judge gravity. Like, we get over here and we go, oh, wow, gravity makes things fall down over here too? Well, I don't know about that decision. I don't know what God was thinking. Like, we, we don't question that. But in the same way, why do we question whether rain falls in one place and not another? That's the way the ecosystem works. Like, we don't question it when a bone breaks when you fall. That's what bones do. We don't go, that unjust God, my arm broke when I fell out of the tree. No, that's what the arm does when you land on it wrong. And so in the same way, why do we question when one person gets diabetes or heart disease and not another? Those things don't point to the injustice of God. They point to the fact that there is still danger and suffering in our world. These are questions that make us think we can judge how just God is based on his creation. But see, through the book of Job, the Lord is asking us to stop trying to simplify him and put him into some box or formula that we make. We can't. Every time science discovers something new, our minds get blown with the bigness of God. And God's also teaching us to stop accusing him based on our limited evidence and our limited perspective. It's really easy for me to judge God based on my judgment. If I was God, I would do it differently. We say that, don't we? I would not let anyone die except for the bad people and the ones I don't like. Like, that doesn't work, right? We need bigger perspective, but we're still never going to get to the same level as God in order to judge him on how he has deigned it to be in his wisdom. But it doesn't mean that we're not allowed to vent or doubt. He doesn't say, I am God, you're not. Sit down and be quiet, sonny. He doesn't say that. God carries the whole universe. He can absolutely carry our unanswered questions. He is not telling us not to doubt. God is inviting us to still trust his wisdom in how he created this life by holding on to his character. God is inviting us to trust his wisdom by holding on to his character. And that's hard. I mean, maybe you still feel like Job did at the end of the first speech. God is God, I'm not. But there's still a few things that don't quite add up. There's still a few things that are keeping me from fully trusting God and his wisdom with this evil that I see in the world. Maybe you read that part of chapter 38 where he talks about the sea having a limit and therefore evil having a limit. And maybe you even read in verse 15, where it talks about when evil will be done with, it says, the wicked are denied their light, their upraised arm is broken, and you go, wait a minute. If God is actually totally in control of evil, 
and can put a stop to it, why hasn't he already? Why does he let evil run loose? Maybe you might be really honest with yourself and you might even wonder, can God control evil? I don't know if you're like me and maybe you spent some time looking at the pictures of Houston and the surrounding area this week in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey and just seeing freeways underwater, homes, belongings, photo albums ruined, people who've lost their lives and my heart just breaks. Or you might not even know, but there's monsoons happening in Southeast Asia right now in a part of the world where there's so much more poverty and so much less infrastructure and there's over a million people displaced from their homes and thousands have died. And you see the pictures of these places and it just looks hopeless. And you go, well, if God is in control of all this, he must not really care. No, 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 God is good. I I know God is good. But if he's good, then maybe he can't stop it. See, I know God says that evil is part of his creation and that he is, it's under his dominion and under his control, but how can we be sure? How can we actually know that it's under his control? Well, the next section actually addresses that. This is in chapter 38, starting in verse 16. Job has another question, or God has another question for Job. He says, Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? He asks Job, Have you even been to where death lives? And again, Job's got to answer no. And Job doesn't know it, but we know. There is someone that can say yes. There is one man that has been to Hades and then came back. The author of the book Hebrews said that it's it's in the type of wisdom that could only be God's that Jesus used death to break the power of death. See, God's answer to Job's question and our question of why is there still suffering in the world isn't necessarily an answer that we like or want, but his answer is his presence. He draws near to us. God speaks, and all the galaxies are born. And he shows us how meticulously he cares for creation. God speaks, and every creature and every person comes to life in his breath. He sends his son to show us that we are the pinnacle of that creation, that we are the ones worth dying for. And then Jesus speaks the words, it is finished. And all of our failures are erased. Why? Why? Why would he leave heaven for us? Why would he endure beating and mocking for us? Why would he pray for the forgiveness of those who are crucifying him? 
He does all this to show us his character. To remind us that no matter what happens in life, when we don't know what's going on, when we don't like what's going on, we can still trust him. We can still trust that he is with us. We are not alone. He is still good. He is still God. I don't know if you are in a season of suffering or blessing right now. But all of us have an opportunity to lean on God's character that he reveals to us. To put our trust in him. To lay that trust at his feet. And then we get to respond just like Job does. After both speeches, Job responds again and he gets it. This is chapter 41. Sorry, chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Then skipping down to verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I repent and I turn back to you. We can trust God because he's shown us what his character is. He is still good. He is still God. And he promises to always be with us. Amen.